Good morning, Patriots. And today is Tuesday, February 6th in the year 2024. It's a good quote for our good remembrance of today. Uh, today is February 6th, 1778. France and the fledgling United States of America signed the Treaty of Amity, or Amity and Commerce in Paris, France. The Treaty of Amity and Commerce recognized the United States as an independent nation and promoted trade between France and the United States. The Treaty of Alliance created a military alliance against Great Britain, stipulating American independence as a condition of peace. The treaty also required France and the U.S. to concur in any peace agreement. Which is very interesting. And it also just happens to be Corey Terry's birthday today, so wish him a happy birthday, which is awesome. He's just getting to be, he's just, he's just starting to be a, a grown-up, just barely, but it's coming. It's happening. Patriots, real quick, uh, one thing we want to be absolutely certain of is that you are taking precautions and preparations necessary for a big change that's coming, regardless of what it is. Part of that is this lunacy of trying to collapse our dollar and to erase your retirement savings, and that would be a bad thing. That's part of the CBDC concept, to try to separate you from your actual real wealth and turn that into some digits. You want to get yourself anchored in solid assets, and one of the best places to do that is with precious metals. That's why we have Birch Gold. If you will text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, B-A-R-D-S, and text it to 989898. Again, BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, 
text it to 989898. Rich Gold's going to send you a free information packet on precious metals and precious metals IRAs. It's a great organization. The people are professionals, top tier in the business ratings all the way across, and they've served Bars Nation here for, I think, well over a year and a half, just done an incredible job. So check it out. It's well worth your time, well worth looking into what they do. And especially in this hour, we need to be pivoting away from the Wall Street nightmare. You know what's even worse about Wall Street? We've talked about it, but it's going to be one of those dark secrets that gets revealed because ultimately pinning all of the investments on Wall Street are three industries, military defense contracting and sales of military assets, drug trafficking, and human sex trafficking. Hate to say it, but it's true. So you want to break away from that. Get to precious metals. That's the best place to be. Birch Gold is the place that can take you there. So Again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898, and do that today. Yes, always these days in history, it's worth looking at to see what's going on. We have a lot of crazy things going on, if you haven't heard, in um, California is getting hammered. And, and I'm not being disrespectful to it, but it is. I find this amazing right now. This We have this duality going on in a fire and water which in certain places in fire and ice too. If you were paying attention to what Pete Chambers talked about at the beginning of the rally in Texas, and I'll recount that story in case you missed it. it I believe it was Friday. The convoy was late and it could have been Thursday, but I believe it was Friday. The convoy was late and they had, they weren't letting anybody in the venue until the convoy arrived and so, lo and behold, what shows up is a very well, if you know what a, a, a vinyl wrap is, is when they wrap a bus. So it's one of these tour buses that they they drove up in, and what they what they was was the opposition. It included pro-abortionists and Tifa BLM, the whole shebang coming down there to disrupt naturally. And so they came down there. And they parked out front waiting for the convoy to arrive. CBS just miraculously showed up as well, which is, again, no surprise since these are all coordinated hit pieces that they do. CBS shows up and started to do interviews with them. And as Pete Chambers describes it, and I actually have the, Nikki has the photos of the storm coming in, which is pretty amazing. As they begin doing their interviews, the storm rolled in out of nowhere and unleashed a massive hailstorm. It went on for 30 minutes, pummeled the entire area, pummeled it so much that our our fair weather friends of Antifa and BLM and pro, pro-abortionists pro and all these other sickos got in their nice bus and they drove away. So did CBS. And as the storm passed, the convoy arrived. The convoy was untouched by the storm. I, I would say that's a nice move. I We were laughing last night. That's kind of like a war angel going, Oh, I'm so tired of this. Let me just lift my pinky for a minute just to show you what I can do with a pinky. Wait till I lift my sword. You have no idea what I can do. It'll be like, <laughs> if that's a pinky, wait till you see what's coming. That's the whole thing. So it's pretty intense. Um, let me give you a quick report, though. There, the storm in California is raging. It is a very intense storm. It is interesting to note, and I don't know how much research you've done in this L.A. area, this is the home of the Guggenheim Museum, which we know has many, many, many levels below the Guggenheim. We also know from historical records and from good research of what's been going on that L.A. is laced with tunnels, many of which were used for child sex trafficking. Uh, it just as a reference point, easy one to find on that is to go look at the Playboy Mansion and see how many tunnels that they've found in there to move people in and around so it just is interesting, the scale and scope of what's happening there. It is um, truly quite amazing. L.A. is getting 75% of its annual rainfall in five days, and it's already triggered 120 mudslides. So this is all, And this is also all over the San Diego area. I was speaking to a young man yesterday. It's like, well, we're from the San Diego area. And I said, well... Sounds like you're going to get some rains. They're not there right now. It's like, oh, we, we live in an area where there isn't much rain. I said, brother, I don't care how much rain you get in a year. When you get that much rain in two days, you're flooding, just so I'm clear about that. So let's, let's just 
it seems to me just an amazing moment of coincidence, maybe, that the rain is falling in one of the cities that's one of the greatest cesspools of Satanism. Hmm, interesting. Take a listen to this. A skid steer is being used to try and remove a literal mountain of mud that came down the hillside as the soil in these hills around Los Angeles are completely saturated and they're beginning to let loose boulders, mud, sometimes even landslides, entire backyards slipping down the mountainside. Numerous homes were impacted by this, people being evacuated. It started coming in and it started filling up on the door. Like the top house, the landslide just started coming down. Our, our three cars up there are buried in mud. Uh, was there any like warning or did it just happen? No, it just kind of started happening. I came home and saw it happening and I walked up this hill and the couple put of mud. So far, fortunately, this has been a fairly isolated problem for a few neighborhoods, a few communities in the upper elevations in the hills around Los Angeles. Well, apparently not so isolated because what uh, 120 of them is not isolated. By the way, Toby Keith died uh, today. It's got a lot of people um, mourning his loss. He was a big contributor in country music. Unfortunately, and when, and I'm just going to say it bluntly, and it's not being insensitive, but unfortunately, because he died of stomach cancer, and has all the signs, and I'm pretty certain that he did take the vax. Again, another casualty of this war, as far as I'm concerned. The singer group, one of the things that was so stunning for me and for all of us involved in organizing Bards Fest 1, which is 2021, was how many bands, Christian bands included, had taken the vax and wouldn't even perform um, unless the vax was supported. We had Christian bands that refused to show up at that venue because in our contract we openly stated that we were anti-vax, that you could not have taken the vax, and that we would not promote the vax. And that left us with literally just a couple of bands that we could get, and none of them, and it were great bands, by the way, great performers, great bands, but none of them were anything that anybody knew because all the main bands had been compelled at the risk of losing their contracts to take the vax. So let me play this short piece here on Toby Pieces, a tribute to him. Today, Toby Keith passed away, and it really struck me and hit me hard because there was a time when this nation was really hurting, and all of us were trying to process the emotion of that. And uh, his music really brought us all together. It resonated with us. He was able to use music, talking about American soldier and courtesy of the red, white, and blue. And he was able to help us all process those emotions and, and come together with a common goal and a common purpose. And two things come to mind today as I think about him passing away is that what are you going to be remembered for? Because he's going to be remembered for one thing, and that's bringing a hurting nation together. And then the next thing is that life is just so short. What are you going to do today? You know, it's like the Bible says, our, our life is like the flower of the field. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, the glory of it is there, and then it's gone. And, uh, it feels just like yesterday that he was at the height of his career and and those songs were coming out and and we were rallying around each other and now he's gone so my question to you today is what are you going to be remembered for are people going to remember you as someone who brought people together did work for the lord brought people into the kingdom of god brought life to those around you or is it going to be something different something we all have to think about I worked with a Delta Sergeant Major who's a very good man good friend of mine and he also he added a level to that statement he'd say do they remember your name and he would go on to say he says people always tell me they're all always connected that they know all these people he said, but if I was to reach out to most of them, they wouldn't even know your name. He says, if you're going to make an impact in your life, do something significant to where they remember you by name. There's a lot to that and a lot to the way we walk in life. We get going really fast, and this is a fast-paced time. Ultimately, some of the most basic things are the things that we have to 
focus on the most. And we forget them very quickly, too often. And unfortunately, that happens. Life goes by so quickly. We read a piece yesterday by uh, Laura Abelie. And the thing that I really struck me about this piece is which, where she ended. And I want to reread this because I think it's really relative this morning uh, or relevant this morning. And it says, everything that is not, it says, what and what are those things that are true? Everything that is not the matrix. It's the soul under your, the soil under your feet, the tree that gives you shade, the sun that warms your skin, the child that holds your hand, the dog that licks your face, the scent of the flowers in the yard, the birds that greet you in the morning, the song you wrote with your guitar, your mom's smile, the waves that came and that come and go, the baby's laughter, a shared meal, a friend's hug, a slow dance, a summer's breeze, you and me. If you're looking for the truth, step out of the matrix, ignore the show, the lights, the whistles, the, con the constant interference, the maddening noise, the fear, the insanity, the back and forth, the up and down, the they and us, the black and white, the game, the trap, the nonsense, the lies, the illusion, and instead embrace what we were, were given, what we've always had, what we will always be, what we all share, the frequency of God's creation, which is love. We really have come to see just the magnitude of how insane this world is. It is designed as a very integrated and controlling matrix of, of, of control, but it's the demolition of the soul, which would be a better term. And therefore, we're subject to its wills and its ills unless we ourselves take control of it. And unfortunately, that's difficult if we don't take a good perspective in our scriptures and anchoring in Bible. James Madison said, if our nation is ever taken over, it will be taken over from within. And sadly, that has proven to be true. This infiltration of people that have come together and have built a willful alliance to destroy America is unconscionable in so many ways for so many, because for the most part, many people just desire to live, just to live and to be. And it is, they've never desi desired to be a warrior in a fight. They've never had to imagine themselves taking a position on the front line. Unfortunately, the way we map most, most of that, just by virtue of the way our Constitution is written, is that in particular on the conservative side, Americans tend to put heavy weight on the Second Amendment and are not enough on the First Amendment. And I think in this process, what we're really realizing is the brilliance of our founding fathers the, the anointing of what that document really is, which is to say that our most powerful weapon has always been the First Amendment, and in there was the right to assemble and religious freedom. Religious being used cautiously, not in terms of a structured religion, but the right to express our belief in God and to use all of those resources available to us as the mighty weapons to save this nation. That is really the greatest and most powerful avenue that we have ahead in moving our country back. And it isn't to say, and I will always say this, a government has gone to a point right now where it does not fear the people, at least not enough. I think right now we're starting to see the panic settle in and what is left of our government. It is it, it has seemed to be an isolated group of people that we're seeing more clearly every day as we literally see the dark to the light. But the fact of the matter is, is that these people are pure evil. They are... Uh, they have nothing to give to this nation other than what they can take for themselves. I have little mercy for these people because we are at a point where they've had more than enough opportunity to step forward and do the right thing, even in, even if they were trapped by some sort of illicit act that they were was being used to leverage them. The fact of the matter is it takes a courage, a spine, a belief to step in and do the right thing. For those that have continued to be convicted to rules and legislation that is not law, things that are against the Constitution, doing jobs and doing things that are violating the security of the United States and the very tenets on which our nation is built, all in the name of, I'm, I was given orders, I'm saving my pension, I'm saving my salary, it's my job. There's literally a pretty good place in hell for something like that. 
And it, and it's something I think we have to start really coming to grips with, which is our nation has to start coming to a hard level of accountability to understanding truly what we have done to ourselves and put that before those that participated. It isn't an easy thing to do, but we must. And this is it's become so pervasive and so in our face that if people can't see it, you just you have to shake your head. Olivia Rodrigo performed at the Grammys. She's a young singer. She's about 24 years old. She was, she began a fairly innocent song. I'm not going to play the piece here because the commentary is pretty raw. But here, here's the point. Um, in her background of this, this is at the Grammys, where Taylor Swift received four Grammys, and she's being honored now as which will be, and I guarantee you, Taylor Swift will be the next sacrifice, big one. Trust me, it's coming. Uh, this happened uh it's, it always happens like this at the Super Bowl and others as they bring these people up. And then if they don't acquire, they're set up to either bring good fortune with all of their ridiculous rituals. And then at a certain point, if they don't perform, then they become a sacrificial part of the of the plan. But Olivia Rodrigo is probably ready to be sacrificed, in my opinion. She sang her song on being sucked dry by a vampire. And as she sang this song in Family Hour on TV. Her background was one of blue with little red floating dots. It looked like kind of like a uh, coagulated blood background. And suddenly those little red dots begin to literally pour blood out onto the stage and off of the screen. And from somewhere she began to have blood all over her hands and wipe her face and upper body with blood. This was family entertainment. Now, if people are watching this and they're not seeing what's before them and they're going along with it. You're making a choice and you're living in a reprobate mind. And literally I believe that where that leads us is someplace that is, it's very damning to those that are walking this path. I think it's uh, an area where probably these people do not truly realize the magnitude perhaps of what they're saying or what they're believing but nonetheless, there are consequences for how we walk in the world, and I think it's important. I want you to hear this perspective. It's interesting and, and what this person says. Very careful about people who give you a photograph of hell. The Bible does not give us a photograph of hell. It's not a burning place? Well, Jesus talks about it as fire. Yeah. But it also talks about outer darkness. So how do you have fire and outer darkness at the same time? I think he's speaking metaphorically. Oh, Cliff, that's, you're just quibbling. Oh, you're just, you're just getting out of a difficult place. Wait a second. Jesus uses metaphor all the time. It's symbolic language to make a point, to speak truth. I am the light of the world. No, Jesus is not claiming to be a 100-watt light bulb. I am the door. No, he's not claiming to be two pieces of plywood slapped together. He continuously uses metaphor to point to truth, but it's truth that is not quite as physical as I would like it to be. And I think that's part of what hell will be. Hell is separation from God. I've chose to live my life separate from him. And he says, fine, Cliff, you chose to live your life separate from me. You'll spend eternity separate from me. So just floating out in the universe, how they always say the universe is really big. Are they just floating in darkness? Or, or as you pointed out, they might be annihilated. Is uh, annihilated mean gone? Gone. Destroyed. That's, that's merciful, though. Destroyed. I want you to consider that for just a moment. And again, the, the principle of what we're on, which is ultimately the greatest rescue mission in humanity's history. People that have taken the vaxxed for a large degree, and we know this from testimony, even from people that have been, there's a great testimony of a monk and another one of a cardinal in the Catholic Church that took the vax and literally can give testimony to being separated from God. We heard a great deal about that at the beginning. That got crushed. People don't talk about it much. But there was a great many people in the beginning of this injection period, if you remember, that were taking the vax that talked about the separation from God not being able to feel God anymore. I think there's something very profound there. And it's one of the things that we've said, and even the testimonies of the, of the monk and the cardinal that I remember now, I don't have them handy, but it was goes back about two years. They talked about having to go through a full-on fasting and repentance for one month before they could even begin to feel God again. This is falling into that trap of the reprobate, reprobate mind, which would be Romans 1, 18 to 32. And truly that place where people walk in a place separated from God. 
So consider that without trying to give a definition to what hell is, which we really don't know, but there is in that principle of what this guy presents, which I think is very interesting, if you look around our world and you realize that we're literally living within two realities, there is one reality that is now living within themselves, a choice of the vax, a choice of their life of consumption. We are literally walking and looking at two different worlds. And our world looks different from two different lenses. You can take a person who's living in the cult of what we call woke, likely injected, and most of the time, yes, injected, and then living in that world, the way that they see the world. And if you get to the root of it, you're going to find the principal things that are there, doubt, shame, and fear. That's going to be rooted in who they are. Their world looks completely different. If you take a person who's even if they've been injected, but they've come back to God through repentance, and but people that are walking in that repenting heart, that heart of, of Jesus, the world looks completely different. There's an overcoming spirit. There's a sense of walking closeness with God. Even those that walk in God that find themselves in ailment in their body, there's a comfort in knowing that you're, you've been saved in that place. This to me begins at the core of our greatest mission because there are so many out here that are wandering and you have to ask yourself a question. Let's just say that the decisions that these people made, if it was done by their own free will, I'm always going to exclude those that were had no free will in it, like elderly stuck in a home or children that had no choice, because I don't believe that they're held, I personally don't believe that they're held accountable for decisions that are forced upon them, like elderly attendants, forced, people forcing in shots on elderly that are the attendants of the place, or parents making the insane choice to have their children injected or even worse if we get into the transgender philosophy of having your children mutilated, I don't find that burden to fall on the children at all. And I don't think God would either. But in that place, if we have people wandering out here in the dis sort of dystopian desert, isn't it of us, isn't it called upon us to reach into them and do all we can to seed that, that love in Jesus? Because we are the point of the sphere of rescuing people and bringing them home. And maybe their lives will still be short. I have no idea. That's God's decision, not mine, not yours. But wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be important for us to try to reach them and to bring them back so that at least we know that they are saved? This is an important point, and especially for those that sit in impews. And I've said this before, and I, I know it doesn't go over well with many people, but then you know me because I don't really care about ruffling feathers if I feel it's Holy Spirit speaking. The fact of the matter is that when you sit in a pew and you've accepted Christ and then you just, you've gone ahead and taken the shot and you think you're all okay, you're not. Because you, you made a choice compelled by motives that were not of scripture. You compelled yourself by fear. You compelled yourself by doubt that God could actually heal or protect you. Perhaps you were compelled with deep wounding of something in the past that separated you from God with the voices of shame that came into you. But those principles that sit within you steered you away from God. And so the shot is one of these very dark elements in our life. It's a threshing that has separated people, and they're truly walking in a darkness right now, regardless of where that arrives at the point, and I, because we don't know. But it is a living hell that they're living in now of, of, of we walk alongside. And that when we, look at, when we look at this world through that lens and we start to look at all of those that took the shot, and look at that and are compelled now to have empathy in a different light where we start to see the world in the heart of Jesus, things look very different perhaps than we would have thought they'd look if we would take time to simply get to realize that their decisions now and our, our role as the remnant is truly to bring them back. I think that's, it, to me, it's one of these compelling issues that I think we have to continue to look at and be honest with ourselves as to where we actually are and what we are actually doing. But this deep state's devious, and it's going to continue to paint a picture to lure people in. I want you to hear this promotion video of everything that we've been through, and now listen to how they're painting the future to use what, where we are as a launch pad into the deeper dystopian hell that they want to bring us to. Take a listen. In the vast expanse of the cosmos, a small blue world shines with possibilities. On it, every challenge is an opportunity waiting to be harnessed. But it all begins with a vision, a shared dream of a brighter future. 
Do we dare to imagine the unthinkable for a better tomorrow? What will it take to create a brighter future for the next generations? Are we ready to unite for global growth? Can we transform the way we power our world? How do we reverse climate change and build a sustainable future? We have the tools and we have the talent. Let's collaborate to define our destiny and shape the prompts of tomorrow. World Government Summit 2024. Join us in shaping the future. You don't get a vote in that, by the way. But I just will say for those of you that are so in, I don't know if there's anybody out there anymore. I would hope not. But for any of those out there that are still thinking Elon Musk is going to be the great savior of humanity, he was included in the visuals of that video to remind us all that he is part of the World Economic Forum. His mother was a Satanist, just so I say it. We have real issues in our country, and they're real issues that are coming, and there are issues that are going to take a very steady hand to get through. The World Economic Forum has created, and the people behind this, the WEF, essentially the, the Fourth Reich that has now seized control of a lot of the governance positions across the world by using industry in a public-private partnership to wage war against humanity, to break humanity, to create the problem so that they can therefore introduce the solution. It's important to always remember that, that anytime we're working within their structure of matrix and logic, everything is about them steering towards a greater and brighter future, and everything is driven by technologies which they control and which they ultimately own and will sub subjugate humanity to. Always go back to Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, then walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. We are in that split of the road right now. And in that decision point where we are at, we need to be asking God in our prayers to show us and take us to the ancient paths. The ancient paths are going to look very different. And it doesn't mean that they will not seem advanced. But I can tell you, anything that is in the technological realm of this elite, God has already done through what's native to us. I've said this many times, and it's, it's something I truly believe. The internet, to me, is a mockery of what God does within us if we truly understood the connectivity within the body of Christ. Because the internet deals with the apostolic and it deals with the prophetic in a strange way because it creates a flow of connectivity and information that is mechanical. It's not of us. It even has to be driven by an artificial intelligence to be able to manage it. All of that is not of God in the end of the day. When we truly deal with the true sense of who we are and connected in the body of Christ, there is a level there that we have never understood, we have never been taught, we don't even, we don't even have it, it would be between us. In fact, we've been steered away from it from so many ways because we're told that so much of this, especially when we get to the prophetic and the apostolic, which is part of the fivefold ministry, we're told that this is even things like magic. It's not part of the modern church. The church of Acts is no longer. Miracles are no longer of this day. This is the nonsense that's being programmed into people. Because as they're, as they're programmed to believe it and doubt God, one of those fundamental pillars of separating us from who he is, as we're taught those things and we're pivoted away from God, we're not able to embrace the full gifts and blessings that he has upon us. We are so incredible as beings, the true sons of God. We are beyond anything we can imagine. So everything that you see within this world is that's man-made and technological is a mockery or a mimicry of some fashion of what God has done and what God does natively if we truly understood it. To me, the Jeremiah 6.16 is one of those verses that we come back to constantly to remind ourselves of the greatness of who we are and the challenges that sit before us. But we are truly also in a critical time of Matthew 5.9, which is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemakers is not just loves and hugs. That is not what Christ was. And, what, and we look at, at the walk of Jesus in a profound way, and we see that Jesus was understanding. He had a way to distance himself and yet have always have a presence as the Son of God. 
He had a place to be before everybody. He knew who he was. And I think that's the key issue is we have to know who we are. And it begins with understanding that we are truly the sons and daughters of the Most High. Jesus was able to stand before evil, even the devil, and not be persuaded and not fall into the traps and not have the fear that would be exploited to try to draw him away. Jesus was compassionate, but not so compassionate that he was into the trivialities of the moment, but instead focused on the greatness of who he was and bringing that love of kingdom into people's hearts. And there was a responsibility that was always accepted to me as I read scripture and I see this, Jesus has an expectation and even better understanding that it was up to us to make the choice. That goes back to the origins of who we are. And that choice was, whom do we serve? In that walk, we see that happens when Jesus is found praying by the, by the river. And his disciples find him and they say, Master, Master, where have you been? I've been looking for you. And in so doing, they say the people are waiting for you. And his response is, let us go forth to the next village and complete what we came out to do. In a, in a powerful moment, because he's not going back to coddle. He's not going back to be worshipped. He has left the seeds necessary for everyone to step into that and now to embrace that powerful moment of what his message is and to take it and run with it, each and every one of us. That's the power of our faith, which is the free will, not the obligation or forced dedication to ritual, but rather the choices that we make each day. Look at the difference then between the satanic and, and that of the, the, the faith of life, which is of that of Christ. The satanic is built around rituals, disciplines, specific things they have to do every day. A ritualistic belief system is structured not in the will of what you want, but in the desire of what it will give. Very different. It's the motive of what will it give to me. In our faith, we're dedicating ourselves to the love and the commitment to God and letting him guide us in what he wants for us in this world. Completely opposite perspectives. So that makes a higher burden and a, and a higher onus on us individually for what we have to do. Our decision in, in each day, whenever you decide to do it, to step in and to worship freely, to read scripture, to pray, whenever and however we, are, we do that, that latitude is given to us within our faith. In other faiths, that is not given to you. There is a time in which you have to get up and pray. There is a time and a number of times per day you must pray. There are rituals, especially in the satanic, there are rituals which you must do every day at a certain time and a certain hour. If you're dealing with the satanic, then you're going to be doing rituals after midnight in preparation for the witching hour, which begins at 2 a.m. These things are fixed and they must be dedicated to an rigid form. And because and through that, you gain very specific amounts of blessing or power as they see their life. And I wouldn't say blessing, but I would only say power or reward would be a better term, be better term. And that reward will be something that will benefit you, not benefit the community. That's at the core of all other belief systems other than Christianity. Even the sense in Zen Buddhism, there is a rigid schedule daily. And I say this because there is no God that they specifically worship in Zen. The objective of Zen is to destroy the fear of death and ultimately set one free. They see that as a root, which is quite true. But at the same time, there is a discipline of time. Every morning at a certain time, meditate for so long. There's these rigid things. Now, there's nothing wrong with establishing a, a rigid flow, but it's the point is, it's what we choose in our life and how we choose to worship God, to honor him the highest as we see. And that takes many different forms. Obviously, the word is at the center, prayer is at the center, our meditations are at the center, but it doesn't say we have to do it every day at four or otherwise be lost. If we're listening to Holy Spirit and we're listening to how God flows us, we begin to find that path in our life if we're listening in an alignment with God and God steers us in an amazing way. That power of free will is ultimately at the core of Christ's teachings. And when we go to that power of free will, what we're able to do in terms of peacemakers is profound because we're leading people to that freedom of being able to step away 
from the matrix and step into the glory of God by their free will. But that also means that there's evil. And in evil, we can't have peace if you have a perpetual evil that's stirring chaos and causing pain and suffering. So there is a place here somewhere along the way, which if you heard the interview on Saturday or Sunday night with Brian Kahanek in his song called Peacemaker, he makes a great comparison of where is peace. And, his, and when he was looking and building the song, it was the duality in his prayers of Peacemaker, which is of Matthew 5, 9, and Peacemaker, which was the, the legendary Colt 45. Where is that? And that's really the duality between the sword of the steel and sword of the spirit. And when we understand that we always lead with the sword of spirit, but it, there is a point in life that some form of a sword of steel, a judgment, a punishment, a stopping of evil must be done. We're arriving there very quickly in our own world where we are realizing truly the power, the depth, the challenges that we now face because evil is literally out of control. Evil is walking on top of us, amongst us, destroying us, and it's destroying, most importantly, the most precious asset that we have in this world is destroying our children. And at a certain point, we have to make the hard decisions to literally put a stop to it. And that's done in many forms. It always begins with the power of the First Amendment. But at the end of the day, there has to be an understanding that as God leads, there may be a need to remove this evil and expunge this evil because otherwise there cannot be peace. That's the truth within Scripture. The difference is if we're running on that place of we ourselves are going to be the decider and decision maker, then we are not walking in God in those moments. And that becomes an act of vengeance or hate. If we are being led, as I always like to refer to Joshua, where they had the, the compulsion, the drive, and the, the, the direction to pray for seven days around, a, a, build, around a, a city. And if you can imagine the threat that that was, because they were sieging a city at that point in time. You can imagine that things were likely thrown at them because that was counter-siege warfare. You can know that they were very aware that oil, hot oil, hot tar, would be very much readied for their siege if necessary. You would know that in that, in that moment that there would be people on the battlements with arrows, crossbows, spears, whatever the weapons were at the time, boulders to be prepared to, to stay them away. And yet they did this fearlessly as they walked, the army walked around the city seven times and then seven times on the seventh day. And at that moment when there was no change, and I think one could interpret that moment as an opportunity for the city to repent. And I, that's my interpretation, but I think it's there. I think you find at that moment that nothing did happen in that grace period of seven days was then taken and the city walls fell and the order was given and the order came truly from, from God to now destroy every man, woman, child, and donkey within the walls. And that was done. And it was done with violence. And the kingdom of violence was taken by men of violence. And it was taken back. And that territory was stopped and the bloodlines were ceased. And we can talk all day as some like to interpret that that was a city of Nephilim and perhaps, but it doesn't change the act itself. And the whole principle behind that is that God was leading these men and that there was a grace given and they, the grace was not received and not accepted. And therefore what was given ultimately was a wrath of punishment using the hands of men. Do I believe we're here? I think we're rapidly approaching that point. And if you had a chance, if you haven't listened to last night's show, which was a very, very profound word, which I'm just going to touch on here as we close today. Last night, as I spoke, there was a profound moment shortly before the show, an hour or so before the show, of an encounter with a war angel and a war angels. And it was unlike any vision I'd seen before. They were intense. They were mighty. They were, they were absolutely, there was a, a righteous fearlessness within them that is, was so consuming that you literally felt the presence of God. There was zero fear. There was an absolute knowledge that evil would be slain and that, the, and that the children of God would be saved. That mighty warrior that stood in that vision extended a hand to say to me, fear not. And in that moment, it broke me because it was such a profound moment of revelation of seeing the compassion within the heart and equally the respect 
that was given to us as the children of God that have been fighting evil with tools that are inferior because of our knowledge and our understanding to an evil that was absolutely trying to destroy our, our world. And yet those who chose the remnant that chose to stand were standing tirelessly, relentlessly and relying truly on our faith in God to let us walk in a loving and forgiving heart while God fought for us. That was all within that moment. And as it went on and as it continued forward and I took time then before the show to ask God, show me what you want me to read before the show today, which I seldom read the Bible that way. But I literally had the Founder's Bible closed, and I ran my thumb up the side of the Bible, and I opened it. And where did I open it to? The beginning of the New Testament. But what was important in that was what that page represented. The, the beginning of the New Testament has a picture of one of our founding fathers looking out the window, reflecting and seeing into the, into the colonial city on, that's on the right side. And it says New Testament above him. On the left side of this page is a picture, a beautiful sketch of Jesus. And that was there, that it was Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That moment was so profound in that, in that verse. It, it, it was a message that became very clear as I sat with that vision, that that hour is now upon us. An hour of criticality is upon us to choose. And that the Son of Man, I'm sorry, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We are, the army's coming. The judgment is coming. And I think it's very important to embrace the critical hour in which we live. That this is, we can all feel it. We all know something is building. We have to have the patience of God, and his patience is not one of long time. It's long for us because of our eagerness and our, and our infantile, infantile view of the universe. But there is a mightiness coming. And as we put our hearts to him, I truly do believe that all of those that are walking with Jesus will be set aside, but that the wrath will come in an amazing way. And this is not rapture I'm talking about. This is not that at all. It's in fact, it's us being more engaged in the fight than ever. Because it's not about us being removed from the battle. It's us just stepping in more boldly into the place where we, God needs us in the battle. And only he knows that, and each of us have to receive that message. So as we step in that moment to truly be close with him, I encourage you to pray deeply these days. Pray into asking, God, where do you need me? God, what do I need to see? God, how do you want me to see the world? Because just like our discussion this morning on having the empathy for those that have received the vax, the urgency in this hour and to bring people home, the salvation that we need to help deliver to people, those missions are true. It doesn't matter who's in power, in power politically. It makes no difference. That mission never changes. And so as we are being swept into these political fights and worrying about illegal aliens or worried about our border security, if we're focused on bringing the gospel of Jesus into people's hearts, we're winning that war. That's the war that needs to be focused on. Everything else God has, and he will handle this, even the separation of evil. Because as we engage with evil, don't ever, don't forget that many times evil itself can become our greatest tool of, of war. Because if we convert that heart of one, they have the access to the place to convert the hearts of many. So I just close with this reference and before we go to prayer. The Church of Glad Tidings is, uh, is an amazing place. The vision that Pastor Dave Bryan has, one that I share, is to simply walk and do as Jesus would do. Part of that and part of their ministry, led by their founder, original founder, Lou, of, is to do an outreach into prisons. And they do a tremendous outreach in prisons. And they deal with some of the most broken and some of the most difficult people one could imagine. These are hardcore gang and cartel members. Their church has a, has a composition of roughly 30 to 40% of their church body are people that have come from those dark places, hard prison times for things like murder, drug trafficking, people that have come across, spent time 10, 15 years, some even 20 years in jail, people that have come to that church to be saved and through a process they do and they, they deliver them and they save them. These people are powerful in their voice. They have walked the darkest of dark spaces. And yet their love for Jesus is, uh, is profound. So when you meet these men that have walked in these places and they'll say things to you like, my next vision is to go into the cartel and bring Jesus into the very places 
which I was once part of, you understand the greater power of what love can do. They're not walking in with swords, with steel. They're walking in with the greatest sword. They're walking with scripture, a Bible, and they're loving Christ. All of us should have that commission on our heart because when we understand that and truly walk in that power with the authority of Christ and all the authorities given to us because we have authorities over all evil, we understand those authorities. That power right now is there for us to grab. That is the fivefold ministry, the true sense of it. We walk with authority on this world to advise leaders, to literally walk in the prophetic and the apostolic, to, to literally raise the dead, to heal the broken and the sick and to cast out demons. We have those authorities. And then as we pray into this and God places you wherever you are in this hour, I don't think there's a more critical mission than that's before us. And as we do that, we're able to lift up so many, even in the sense of illegals coming across the border, which is a dark moment perhaps in our history, but it's equally an opportunity because what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. The word given on Saturday night, the word I repeated last night, the word that is resonating with Doc Pete Chambers, the word that's resonating as well and getting similar visions on is Pastor Rod Parker. He's down on the border right now. The word that's being heard, being heard by others I talk to on a daily basis is this moment is one we must re-lens. We're misunderstanding it, that God is bringing the harvest here and that this harvest, these people that are coming here, as we introduce them to Christ, deliver them and save them, they become part of God's army that will then become part of the missions that they will do as they go back home. So important. And that, if you recall, was part of the mission, the statement after the, on the new year, which is we have local missions to do, and our local missions are in our community. All of that I would just encourage you to take to prayer. Patriots, let's pray. Father God, we just come to you today humbled and blessed. And we just ask that for wherever we are at this moment in time, that those things that we need to be revealed to us, those things of doubt, those elements of shame, those elements of fear, those woundings that have separated us from us, the sins that we have done that create a gap between you and us, Father, we just pray that they will be revealed. And as they're revealed, that we'll have the compulsion to repent and to do deep repentance, to literally heal those wounds and seal that armor. And then to stand, not to stay broken in our knees, but to stand and be mighty in this hour. And Father, so we pray for a powerful repenting heart, not one that burdens ourselves with the idea that we are unworthy, but rather a, a repenting heart that seeks to be of worthiness to you. One that seeks to be able to be more effective for you. One that responds quickly to sin by putting ourselves on our knees before you to ask for repentance to then stand back up in this fight and to raise our sort of spirit to go mightily into battle. Father, we pray for the true warrior heart, a heart of the meek, the heart of the powerful warrior, knowing all the tools and equipment that we've been given to fight this mighty war. And yet, to, as we know that, to be able to be sit quiet on the edge, to observe, to be slow to draw the sword and mighty to speak the word of Christ in truth. Let us wield truly the power first and foremost of the gospel of Jesus in these battles. Let us speak the name Jesus into people's hearts and lives. Let us see that of all things in each person that are needed in the times of challenges ahead. And as they come to awaken that heart within, that when people find themselves in panic, as they watch a world that they thought they understood collapse and fall apart, that they'll at least have a place they can turn. Those, as much as they may have rejected it, that seed then begins to sprout. And we know there, Father, you'll be able to work and Holy Spirit will be able to grow and Jesus will be able to make himself present. So, Father, we pray for that courage upon all those that are out here seeking that path ahead, to seek the clarity, to give discernment of where we need to walk and to make clear the next steps. Raise us in this hour. Bless us in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. A powerful time, a wonderful time, but a powerful time. And it's one that we need to stay focused on as we walk ahead with all that's ahead of us because there are a lot of challenges that we're going to face and we're going to be able to face them well together. And as we face them well together, we're going to be able to overcome them through the body of Christ. Truly amazing. I'm going to do our outro and then I'm going to play this song I came across after we do our close. It'll be the first song on the playlist today. Um, it's 
you it's unique let's put it that way it's a patriot song as it was stated here uh and the song voted most likely to not win a grammy because it calls out every single big pharma whore who attended the grammy is and we'll play it here in just a moment all right patriots keep your head up and your eyes forward never bow to evil never relent always press into the fight god is with us he'll never forsake us and in the end god always wins but we are here in this time in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Bards FM. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, Ask what you can do for your country. has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know exist. We pray, we stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light 
that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.